As we begin our message then, I want to ask you uh, this question. When you think about talking to other people about Jesus or about your faith or about the reasons why you are a part of a church, what barriers do you find get in the way of that? And I would love you to try and think about someone specific. So it could be a family member who you would love to talk to a bit more about Jesus. It could be a friend. It could be someone at school or at uni or at work. Uh, It could be one of your neighbours. Try to bring to mind someone who you just have a real heart, you would love to be able to tell them a little bit more about Jesus and why Jesus matters to you. When you think about that opportunity to be able to do that, what are the things that get in the way? What are the barriers that start to kind of kick in when you're like, oh, I would love to do that, but what are the things that come to mind for you? I genuinely believe that all of us really want other people to find out about Jesus because he's really, really important to us. We wouldn't come and show up here on a Sunday if Jesus wasn't important to us. We wouldn't take the time to read our Bibles, to spend time praying, uh, to do the things that we do connecting with each other if Jesus wasn't important to us. And I don't think any of us would say, I hope no one else ever finds out about Jesus. I hope it just stays a nice little secret with all of us who know and nobody else ever finds out about it. I think we all genuinely have a heart that we want people to find out about Jesus. But there's all these barriers that get in the way for us. And in particular, I think a lot of those things are attached to different fears that we might have. For some of us, that fear might be fear of rejection. If I talk to them about Jesus... Are they going to reject me? Are they going to turn their back on me? Are they going to say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore? That's enough of that. For some of us, it might be fear about not knowing an answer to something. What if I talk to someone about Jesus and they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? Am I, are they going to kind of oh, court you out? Jesus is clearly not true because you can't answer this question. That can be a genuine fear for a lot of us. For some of us, the fear might be just about not being a religious wacko. We don't want to be perceived as one of those people who's a little bit crazy and a little bit too much in your face. And so we would rather just kind of pull back rather than be perceived that way. What are the fears that create barriers for you as you think about what it looks like to share the message of Jesus? Today, we're going to continue this series that we started last week in 1 Thessalonians. And in particular, what we're going to dig into is some of the keys that Paul said are really, really important in what it looks like for us to be able to share about Jesus in a really, really healthy way. So very quick overview of some of the stuff that we covered last week. Uh, So if you weren't able to participate in our online service, hopefully you were able to go through the at-home service that we sent out to you and delivered to you. Uh, But just as a quick recap of what we looked at. This uh, letter that we're looking at, the book of Thessalonians, is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in a city called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was this really, really important city in Paul's day. It was really a gateway port that opened the way up uh, to the west where Rome was and to the east where all of Asia was opening up. And we read about Paul's visit to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And so hopefully you had a chance to read that this week. If you didn't, I would encourage you to do that because it really does help to give us context of exactly what was going on for Paul while he spent time in this city. 
what we see there is that Paul spent this time with the Thessalonians and some of them responded to the message of Jesus and were really excited about that. But a bunch of people said, no, no, we're not interested in that at all. And particularly some of the Jewish leaders uh, chased Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town. They said, we don't want you here, get out of here. And so they moved on to the next city and then the next city. But Paul was really, really concerned about how they were getting on. This was a very young church that had only just begun with a bunch of people who'd only just discovered Jesus. And so he wanted to make sure that they were doing okay. So he sent Timothy back to visit them. And then Paul moves on to a bunch of other cities and he ends up in Corinth when Timothy eventually catches up with him. Timothy then shares an update and says, this is what's going on and these are the challenges that they're facing. And it's in that context that Paul writes this letter. He sits down and he writes to them and says all of these things that we're looking at. And I mentioned last week that some of the key themes that we're going to explore as we go through this series are some of the things that Paul touches on. So the first is that he really was trying to address some of the false teaching that had infiltrated the church, some people who were trying to drag people away from the message of Jesus and the centrality of Jesus There was some uh, encouragement that Paul was trying to give the Thessalonians in the midst of their struggles and the challenges that they were facing. Paul reinforces the importance of focusing on what it means to be spiritual family in the way that they relate to each other. He spends quite a bit of time talking about the struggles that they're facing in making decisions about how to live a Jesus-centred life rather than living life the way that their culture around them was dictating. And he spends some time correcting some misunderstandings about what it meant that Jesus was going to come back. I said last week, it blows my mind that all of those things are incredibly relevant to us still today. And it's good for us to stop and recognise that when Paul was sitting in Corinth writing this letter out to these people, I don't think he was sitting there thinking in 2,000 years there's going to be a group of people in this city called Adelaide on the other side of the world who are going to be reading these words as well. Paul was writing to a group of people that he knew and speaking into their context. But that's what's so incredible about the Bible is that God inspired all of the people who wrote all of the different parts of the Bible in such a way that these words come alive for us 2,000 years later in a completely different context where all of those themes are just as relevant to us. And so it's great that we're going to be able to unpack them in the weeks ahead. We sent out a reading plan to you last week as well. So you would have received that either via email or a paper copy if you're not on email. And so I hope that you've started that this week. If you didn't, then there are copies of that available in the foyer. And I would encourage you to catch up on that uh, because it's a really helpful way to slow down and to just pull apart the things that we're unpacking week in and week out and to be able to really sense what it is that God might be saying to you. On our Facebook page and on Instagram, if you're on either of those, uh, we also post some questions to reflect on each day that might be helpful for you. Uh, So we hope that's a resource that just helps to fill out some of what we're talking about through this series. So that's enough introduction. You have your teaching notes inside of Connect News, so you can pull them out and uh, jot things down as we make our way through today's message. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to begin at verse 1. So Paul writes, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we'd been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So a little bit of context for us here. If you go back a chapter to Acts chapter 16, so Acts 17 is where we read about Paul with the Thessalonians. Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul in a city called Philippi. 
and usual deal, Paul tried to connect with some people, help them understand the message of Jesus. A bunch of other people didn't like that very much. And so Paul and his companions ended up getting beaten up and then thrown into jail. Now, there's some pretty awesome stuff that happens after that, and I'm not going to spoil that for you. You can read that this week. But Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know what happened to us just before we came to you because we told you about all of the troubles that we were facing and no doubt the rumours had swirled as well. All of these difficulties and challenges that we'd been through. And I was thinking about it this week. At what point would I stop saying, I'm going to share the message of Jesus? Like, is there a point when you're being beaten up physically where you would say, I don't know if this is worth it. When you're being thrown in prison, is there a point where you'd say, I don't know if this is worth it. We know that Paul and his companions were actually in fear of their lives. Is there a point where you would say, I don't know whether I really want to share the message of Jesus anymore. I was very challenged about that. But Paul says, God gave us the courage to keep going and to keep sharing the message of Jesus boldly. And so today we're unpacking some of the keys of what it looks like for us to share the message of Jesus, and that's the first one, that it takes courage for us to share the message of Jesus. And when we think about courage, courage is really about overcoming fear, doing something that we're not sure that we can do, and there might be consequences in terms of what happens if we don't succeed. So if you think about courageous acts, you think about uh, a firefighter going in and saving someone who's in a burning house. Or you think about someone who has been diagnosed with a really serious health issue and has a big battle in front of them. Even as we've focused, I'm sure you've all been watching lots of the Olympics, I know that we have, there's been that word courage has been thrown around a lot there. So even in the context of that, of saying that there are fears that are attached to saying, if I don't perform, then there are implications of that. And as we've seen with some of the athletes, if you mess up, there can be some very severe consequences in terms of getting hurt. So courage is always about overcoming fear. That's what courage is about. And for Paul and his friends, that fear was very real. As I said, fear of being beaten up, fear of being thrown into prison, fear of persecution, and ultimately, potentially even fear of death. And while the fears that we thought about at the beginning of the message maybe aren't quite as dire as those things, they are no less real for us. The fears that we encounter as we think about what it means to share the message of Jesus are genuine fears for each and every one of us. And so the challenge to us is to say, am I praying for God to give me courage to overcome those fears? And again, as I've been reflecting about that this week, I've been thinking about how much I just rely on my own strength, my own wits, my own abilities to share the message of Jesus. Do I just rely on what I can do? Or do I stop and say, God, give me the courage to be able to share the message of Jesus boldly the way that you want me to? It's a very different thing to say, I'm empowered by God to go and share the message of Jesus rather than just doing it in my own strength. But as we think about the fears that come up for us as we think about sharing the message of Jesus, are we willing to pray for the courage to overcome those fears and to move forward? Well, Paul then addresses a bunch of different things that have clearly been said or written about him. So again, remember the context, Timothy's been, he's seen them, he's come to Corinth and he says to Paul, 
this is all the stuff that's going on. And in particular, Timothy would have said, these are some of the things that people are saying about you. There's a lot of people who are ripping you apart that are saying that you're just a fraud, that the message that you've got is not real, uh, that you're just trying to make money out of this. All of these things are going on. And so Paul doesn't hold back. He addresses every single one of those in verses 3 to 10. So I'm going to read through all of these verses and then we'll pull some of the keys out of it. Verse 3, Paul writes, So you can see that we weren't preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God's our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we've never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. So there's a lot there. So let's just kind of have a look at some of the key things that Paul says. He says that they were truthful in the sense of not teaching things in error, not teaching falsehoods, not teaching lies. The message translation of verse 3 says, Since we've been put through that battery of tests, you're guaranteed that both we and the message are free of error, mixed motives or hidden agendas. Paul says, if we were speaking a message that was full of lies, that we knew weren't truths, do you think that we would go through what we've just been through? Like, do you think that we'd get beaten up and thrown in prison and the people would be chasing after us if we were just saying stuff that wasn't true? Obviously, this stuff is true or we wouldn't be where we are. Paul also talks about authenticity and the importance of that. He says, we're not messing around here and we're not making stuff up as we go. We're not intentionally speaking lies, but we're not also just focusing on messing around. You can see how seriously we take this, again, by the things that we're going through. If we were just kind of going with the flow and didn't really care about this, if we were just trying to convince people, just trying to win people over, get people on side with us, don't you think that we would have tapped out at some point to say, this is really starting to affect us, so let's just move on and do something else instead? Paul also says that they were authorised by God rather than by themselves or by other people. And he says our purpose, our number one purpose, is just to please God, not people. God knows the motives of our hearts and say so that's all that we're focused on. That's all that we're interested in. We're not seeking human praise. We don't care what anyone else thinks. We just care what God thinks. And as an aside, this is a really great question for us to wrestle with. Who is my primary audience? When I think about the decisions that I make, the choices that I make, the way that I live, who is the primary audience that comes to mind when I think about that? Am I focused on what God thinks about me and the reality that God knows the motives that are inside of me? Or am I focused on what this person might think about me or this group of people might think about me? Someone who's a part of my family, a friend, a boss, a teacher. Could even be someone who's a part of our past. It could even be someone who's not with us anymore. 
If we're honest with ourselves, when we make decisions, who's the primary focus that we've got? I'm making this decision because of what that person is going to think of me as opposed to what God thinks of me. Paul says that's our primary focus. What does God think? And we make all of our decisions based on that. Paul also talks about them being genuine. He says we don't use any flattery to be able to get our way. We're not trying to butter people up so that we can earn favour with people. We certainly weren't pretending to be friends with you just so that we could earn some money. Our genuine motive was that we wanted you to find out about Jesus. End of story. That's the whole reason we did all that we do. And he says that they were really open about what that looked like. So they didn't hide their motivations again. He says, we lived our whole lives with you. It wasn't like we could just kind of show up and say some stuff and then we could be completely different people over on the side because you know that we spent this whole time with you. You saw every moment of every day that we were with you and you know that we were genuine in that. And then he also says that they worked hard, that they focused on giving not taking. Even though they were entitled to be able to say, you can support us and we deserve you to support us, he says we weren't interested in that. We went and we earned our own money so that we wouldn't be a burden to you and we certainly weren't greedy in asking for more than we deserved. So that can seem like a lot of stuff, but it can really just be summed up as doing and being seen to be doing the right thing which is really what the definition of integrity is, doing and being seen to be doing the right thing. No hidden motives, no mixed motives, no deceit, not pretending to be something that they're not. And this is really, really crucial as we think about what it looks like to share the message of Jesus. We have to be people who are authentic. We have to be people who are genuine and real. And the challenge with that is that a lot of us perceive authenticity as perfection. We feel like we have to be people who are perfect, who never make any mistakes, who get everything right 100% of the time, or that's going to jeopardise the message of Jesus. But authenticity is about being real and honest, even in the times that we struggle, even in the times that we mess up, as we inevitably will, even with the questions that we're wrestling with and the doubts that we have. Authenticity means that as we share the message of Jesus with people, we're comfortable doing that as well. We know that in our culture, the people around us have their radars up for anything that is not authentic. We're being conditioned to understand the reality of fake news, of people who only want, us, uh, want to do something for us if we will do something for them in return, people who have mixed motives. We have very fine-tuned radar to see when that's happening. And we have to recognise that that's true as we share the message of Jesus. If we're not being authentic and real and genuine, then people will put the shutters up and say, no, that's not authentic. I'm not interested in the slightest. Paul says we shared our whole lives with you. We opened ourselves up completely to you. And as we think about sharing the message of Jesus, we have to wrestle with that reality. What does it look like for us to share our whole lives with the people that we're passionate about too? Paul also says that in order for us to share the message of Jesus... It takes genuine care. And he paints these two beautiful pictures of what that looks like. In verse 7, which we already read, he says, we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And then in verse 11 and 12, he says, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. 
It's these two beautiful characteristics of what it looks like to express genuine care. First of all, that sense of gentleness, that sense of fond affection for someone. The picture of a mother wrapping her arms around a child, warming her child, offering protection to her child. The picture of a hen covering her chicks. It's a beautiful picture of the importance of being able to say to the people that we want to share the message of Jesus with, know that we care about them, that we want to wrap our arms around them, that we want to be there for them. But Paul also uses the image of a father, the way that a father treats his children. And the message translation of that says, with each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his own kingdom, into this beautiful life. So the other side of this genuine care that Paul paints is this picture of a father who says, you can do this. Here's the next thing that you need to do. Speaking encouragement, speaking challenge, saying, I can see this in you. I can see where you're going to go. Go for it. You've got this. And so it's a beautiful picture of what care looks like, that yes, it is wrapping our arms around, but it's also whispering, here's the next step, and whispering encouragement for people to move forward. We spend a lot of time talking about the importance of us being spiritual family, how crucial that is to us. And this is why, because we want to hold both of those things in tension. The opportunity of being able to wrap our arms around each other, to care for each other, to support each other, but also the challenge of being able to say, how do we help each other grow? How do we cheer each other on to be the very best that we can be? Now, we're not going to dig into the rest of the verses. You'll be pleased to know, because otherwise we're going to be here for a very, very long time. But that's why we've got our reading plan. So you can spend some time looking at them this week. Uh, But what you'll see as you make your way through the rest of the verses, 13 to 20, is the ways in which the Thessalonians did respond to the message of Jesus that Paul and his companions shared. In verse 13, he talks about how they received the message as more than words, not just human ideas, but the very message of Jesus penetrated to the core of who they were. They accepted it, they embraced it, they received it, and they responded to it. In verses 14 to 16, uh, Paul talks about how they embraced the message of Jesus, even though there were significant challenges that they were facing, even though the reality was that accepting the message of Jesus meant that they were going to experience persecution and suffering, they were willing to do it. And Paul encourages them with that to say, you're not alone in this. All of the other people who are accepting the message of Jesus are going through the same things as you are. So hang in there. You'll be able to read about that. And then in verse 17 to 20, Paul talks about how much he really desperately wanted to come back and see them, but these roadblocks got put in the way for him. And so he talks about that's why we sent Timothy to you and that's why I'm writing this letter to you. To try and think about when a roadblock comes up, what other strategies can we use to do the things that we believe that God's calling us to do? And he finishes verse 20 by saying, You are what gives us hope and joy, our proud reward and our crown when we stand before Jesus. You'll be able to see, and we'll see this all the way through the letter, just how much Paul was moved by the ways in which the Thessalonians responded to the message of Jesus. And any of us who've had the privilege of seeing other people accept and embrace the message of Jesus know how profound that is. There's something incredible that happens when we see someone else say yes to Jesus. And so Paul talks very clearly about how much that has moved him. So you'll get the chance to unpack that a little bit as you make your way through the reading plan this week. 
But as we wrap up today, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, reflect on this question. What are my next steps in sharing the message of Jesus? What are my next steps as I think about the idea of sharing the message of Jesus? For some of us, it might be related to that first point about praying for courage. That for some of us, we feel like we don't have the strength to do it, or we know that these fears are in front of us. And so the challenge for us might be to say, I'm going to take the time to actually pray and say, God, give me the courage to do what you want me to do. That might actually be a challenge that you want to set this week, every day, to get up and say, God, give me the courage to share your message today in whatever ways are appropriate and see where that leads you, see what opportunities open up. For some of us, it could be around this idea of authenticity and that could go a number of different ways. So for some of us, it's the challenge of recognising that authenticity is not perfection and being able to come to grips with that and say authenticity means it's okay for me to talk about my struggles as I talk about the message of Jesus. But for some of us, we're at the other extreme, where if we're honest with ourselves, we'll recognise that Jesus has kind of slipped down the priority list a little bit. Other things have kind of stepped up into the number one, number two, number three place, and Jesus has dropped down the list. And so authenticity means that we need to re-engage with Jesus. We need to reignite our passion for Jesus in order for us to share about him. And for some of us, we also need to embrace authenticity in the sense of sharing with people because we genuinely want them to discover the message of Jesus. That we don't have mixed motives in that. We don't think that we have to do it. It's not something we're being forced to do. But we genuinely believe that Jesus has something different to offer. And so authenticity means saying to people, I want you to know about this because it's made a huge difference in my life. And for some of us, it could be related to that idea of genuine affection. And again, two ways in that. For some of us, it could be about what does it mean to wrap our arms around people and to express our care and our affection for them that way. For some of us, it could be about what does it mean for us to whisper words of encouragement, to explain next steps to people so that they can move forward in their journey. What is it that you're sensing God is saying to you this morning as you think about your next steps in your walk with Jesus? Take a moment to uh, reflect on that. You can jot some thoughts down, talk to the person next to you, uh, but take a couple of moments to reflect. We'll come back and pray and transition to communion.
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a life changer, that your message and the truth of who you are and what you've done for us has changed our lives, that all of us who are here today are where we are because of the impact that you've had in our lives. We thank you for the way in which you have walked with us. We thank you for the people who've been a part of our journey, who've helped us to discover your message and to live that out. And we thank you for the privilege that it is that you choose to use us as the people who help others to discover your message. We know that there are lots of things that get in the way of us being able to do that. And particularly in our culture these days, there are lots of challenges that are in front of us about the ways in which we can share your message in ways that are appropriate, that are inoffensive, uh, but that also do challenge people and help them uh, to accept that there is something very different about you. We thank you that you know for each one of us the circumstances of our lives and you know the circumstances of the people that we have on our hearts this morning. So my prayer as we head into this week is that you would give us your courage to be able to share your message boldly in appropriate ways with the people that you have put on our hearts. Help us to be able to understand what it looks like to share authentically with other people our very lives and the difference that you're making, but also the challenges that we face and the things that we're wrestling with and struggling with. And I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in our genuine care and love for the people that are in our lives, whether they are a part of our family, our extended family, people that we go to school with, uni with, work with, people who are our neighbours, people who are our friends. We pray that you would increase our love for them. Give us the opportunities to wrap our arms around them in the moments when they're struggling, to sense our genuine care for them, but also help us to know those moments where we can gently encourage them to move forward in their journey with you. We thank you that all of this is because of the work that you're doing in people's lives, that it's not all on us to have to help people to discover you and to choose to follow you. Right now in this moment, we know that you are at work in the lives of every single person that we're connected with, all of the people who live in the communities around us. And so we ask that you would help us to see the ways in which we can partner with you and participate in the work that you're already doing in the hopes of being able to see people respond to this incredible message that you've given us to share. In your name we pray. Amen.